reading this morning is Psalm 34. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 34, and we're going to read uh, that entire psalm. Reading Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. He will, will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is the word of our God. The, the big print Bible, because all ministers wear glasses. It's good. It's a visual reminder that God's Word is what we're on about. Um, it is great to be back in Melbourne. One of the things I love about Melbourne is the, the constant saturation of media coverage of sport. It's great. Although I'd have to say that this week has had its share of disappointments. Uh, 
Leighton Hewitt, Stan Souza, Bernard Tomic, the Melbourne Stars, this is the big bash, the 2020, the Melbourne Renegades, uh, and have I mentioned the Australian cricket team? What's going on there? Um, but I'm sure we'll all survive this disappointing week. Um, and I'm sure that we actually have, uh, from time to time, real, actual disappointments. Um, sometimes we find ourselves in, in jobs or uni courses that just aren't what we'd expected. Sometimes relationships go bad. Sometimes illnesses prevent us from doing things that we just wish we could. All, all sorts of things uh, that each of us face from time to time. How do you react in these times of disappointment? For answers to this question and other questions, we're going to focus this morning on Psalm 34, which Chris just read out to us. So, so please, uh, if you can, have your Bible open at Psalm 34, page 586, if you've got the same one as me. And let's pray. Let's ask God to help us to understand his word. Father, we thank you that you are a good God all the time. We thank you that you are with us always, that you, are, that you, you, you speak to us and you hear us uh, on every day of the week, not just on Sunday. Father, we, we thank you uh, that we do have this opportunity uh, to come together, to focus together on uh, your word this morning. And as we do it, I, I pray that you would enable us to, to understand, that you would enable us to see how your word connects and, and resonates with our lives. And, and I pray that you would encourage us and, and propel us into this week ahead, um, knowing that you are good being prepared to rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 34 is a psalm with a story behind it. A lot of the psalms, we don't know exactly where they came from, but Psalm 34, we do. You'll notice in the small writing up the top, it says, of David. So David is presumably the writer of the psalm when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So let, let, let's remember the story of David, the author of this psalm. David was the young hero of Israel. He was the famous giant slayer. He was loved by the, the common people. And he got attached to the royal palace as a musician. Up to that point... Things were going remarkably well. But eventually, this good thing, this popularity and success that he had was seen as a threat by the king. And when it became that clear that jealous King Saul wanted to kill David, he found himself on the run. And uh, we can read about that story and his escape in 1 Samuel 21. So if, if you can keep some sort of bookmark in Psalm 34, 
We'll go to 1 Samuel 21 for a moment and read some of the story behind the psalm. So David decides that he's going to get out of Saul's country. It's dangerous there and he's going to go to the next country. He's going to hide uh, in Philistine territory. Very quickly he realises this is a bad move because he gets recognised as the foreign war hero that he is and, uh, and he's the servants of the king, Akish is his name, say to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Oh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. How do you think David felt when he was dragged before the king and pointed out um, that, that he was a, a leader among the enemies? He was terrified. He took these words to heart. He was very much afraid of the king of Gath. And so what does he do? Well, he pretended to be insane in their presence. He, he, he made marks on the doors. He had spittle running down his beard. And the king looks at him and says, hang on a minute, don't I have enough madmen here already? Get him out. I don't want him in my, my palace. And so David, he, it must have felt like he'd gone out of the frying pan, into the fire. He pretends to be insane. And somehow he gets out of it. Not, not somehow. We, we can see God's hand in this. Um, where does he turn to now? Well, he finds himself halfway between the two kingdoms. He left Gath. He goes to a cave. And he lives in the cave for a while and his family come and stay with him. Here's a picture um, of a cave in that area where David was. So some people think this is the actual cave that David stayed in. I mean, it's not the middle of the desert, but and David is alive, but surely it must have been a disappointment compared to the royal palace where he had been employed. And so it's in this situation that David writes this psalm, Psalm 34. And I think the psalm breaks down into maybe five chunks which we're going to go through one by one, and then we'll think about some real-life lessons that we can draw. How does it start? He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. It means I will say good things about God. I will speak praises about God. There's a certain defiance of what's happened to him. It's not, it's not denial it's not him going, no, it's not real, it's not actually happening. And it's not just bottling it up and saying, I know it's real, but I'm not going to admit it to anyone. It's a refusal to be overwhelmed by the problem. David's family are with him. They know exactly what's happened. That's why they're there with him in the cave. It's quite obvious um, that things seem to have gone bad. But David doesn't want them to sit there and just listen to his complaining. David wants them 
to rejoice. Verse 1, he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Verse 3, he says, glorify the Lord with me. He wants his rejoicing to be contagious. Now, this is extraordinary leadership, and this is extraordinary confidence in God from, remember he's the youngest brother in the family? Where does he get this strength from? Where, where does he get this confidence? Well, verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David's experienced for himself God's rescue. I mean, physically, he's just got out of the stronghold of the enemy king. But, but he's referring here to that and more. He says, he's delivered me from all my fears. This escape from the enemy king is another episode in David's ongoing experience that God is his saviour, that God has saved him from fear and from judgment. And so he's not scared. He knows that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He knows that the angel of the Lord is often in the Old Testament God himself. It's a way of talking about it. God himself comes and circles around and camps and protects around, uh, protects his people. He knows that as insecure as life in that cave might appear to others, he's not alone. If God is with him, who can really be against him? And David's confidence in God is more than just a hope for physical safety. I mean, often the things that we uh, fear are not, not just the fear of physical hurts, but fear about our reputation and, and our status. Well, David knows what it's like to, to seemingly lose his dignity. I mean, how low can you go? He's just been in the palace of the enemy king pretending to be insane. Yet David knows that whatever people may think about him, in God's opinion, he is not shamed. What does he say in verse 5? He says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. It's this, this idea that there is no barrier between God and those who look to him. It's, it's almost this picture that we have God shining in his amazing, glorious brightness and that light is like coming, coming like sunbeams onto his followers. That Their faces are shining. And while the Philistine king may have said to him, get out of here, the king of heaven does not. He says, yeah, you, you are welcome in my presence. You belong in my presence. Now the next few verses have some really great news. The really good news is that this rejoicing, this experience that David had is for you too. How can you enter this same experience? First of all, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, in our house, there's been lots of exciting new foods to introduce to our kids since we've been back. And uh, 
One of the treats that we recently had was a pack of marshmallows. One of our children, who shall remain nameless, had never had marshmallows before. And I said, here, have a marshmallow. The response was, I don't like marshmallows, I want an apple. (laughs) And I, as the responsible parent, said, no, you can't say that unless you try the marshmallow. Taste and see that marshmallows are good. And he tasted. And were the marshmallows good? They are amazing. <laughs> now, there are some things that you cannot evaluate from a distance. You know, maybe I can get online and, and I want to buy a new TV or something and I can check out all the specs and I can get it delivered to my house. But marshmallows, you need to taste them. It's the same with God. You can't judge him from a distance. Talk to him. Call to him. Ask him to save you. Ask him to accept you despite your own brokenness. And you will see that he's good and that he loves you as a father. If you go to him, if you go to him as your place of refuge, you will not be disappointed. You see, see, David, David's in the cave and is he disappointed in God? No. He's rejoicing in God. He knows that God has a love for him that will not let him go. There's also a second strand to his response. And uh, the first, taste and see, is is the first part. And and the second one, he talks about the fear of the Lord. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints. Now, Now, is this incompatible? Taste and see, seek refuge in God but also fear him? Well, apparently, not incompatible at all. Because in the next few verses, he expands on what does it mean to fear God? What's involved in it? It means watching your words and your actions and your relationships. It means determining to do things and to live life God's way. It means taking the risk of obedience, seeing that God's way is actually the best way. I remember once I had a friend who had become a Christian and for several years had, uh, before that, had been rorting Centrelink and, and not telling them about cash payments he, he was getting. And there was a stage where he was grappling with, well, do, do I need to stop doing this? Uh, do I need to start being honest? If I give this up, Will God provide for me? Uh, another friend uh, was telling me a story yesterday. He, he works at McDonald's. And during the year, his assistant manager became a Christian. Um, there, there were a few Christians who worked in the place. And it was through that, that sharing and that witness in the workplace um, that the manager came to Christ. And, and, and as he's been learning the scriptures and, and, and seeking to understand what it means to follow Jesus, one of the things that he's become convinced of is that he should go to the senior manager and say, actually, I'm unavailable for work on Sundays. I've, I've got something more important for my Sundays. And, and it's proved, on one level, something really difficult, a difficult call to make. It's the, the risk of obedience But he's convinced 
that his life is better, even with the challenges and the complications uh, that have been brought by taking that stand, than settling for a life that wants to know Jesus as Saviour but doesn't want to embrace him as Lord. And so we've got these two, two features of the, of the pathway to rejoicing. Taste and see and also fear God. Other parts of the Bible, we, we'd call them faith and repentance. And, and it's, not that, it's not that, oh, you have to, you have to get everything right before, before God will enfold you in his arms. No, it's actually that as you come to God and you realise, wow, he himself is good, so his ways are good too. Um, it's, it's a rejoicing in God that's more than just a change inside our heads, but it's a transformation of our whole lives. Moving on, the next few verses talk about God's relationship to those who have tasted and seen that he's good. And look at some of the words that are used in these verses. Verse 15 talks about the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Verse 16, the face of the Lord, now this is against those who do evil, and oh, we also had somewhere in verse 15, yeah, his ears, God's ears are attentive to his people's cries. So we've got face, ears, eyes. Why this language? Why not feet, hands and elbows? Because face, ears, eyes, these are what we use for communicating. These are what we use for relationships. This is not a a primitive view of God that that can't imagine God without a body. No, this is a, a highly sophisticated view of God that says, wow, he is personal. That we can actually know and interact with our creator. One more piece of information uh, about, or one more, one more, one more piece of the story uh, that might be helpful. Um, the story behind the psalm is: we know David's in the cave. We know his family are with him. Over time, others came to join him. It got to the stage where there were four hundred. Uh, one Samuel chapter twenty-two, verse two. If you're looking for it, and who were they? It says it was everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was in debt. Everyone who was bitter in soul. There were people with enemies. People who had been through tough times. Some of them were bankrupt. Some of them were probably post-breakdown. And look at, look at the powerful message in these verses. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. The Lord, Verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Just when the eyes of many in society would say, oh, look, God has abandoned you. Actually, this is affirming that this is when God is close. Something else about this psalm, it's an acrostic. That means that verse 1 starts with the letter A, not in English, but when it was first written. Verse 2 starts with the letter B, and so on. Why do you write a song like that? Why why do you write a song that, that follows an alphabetical order? I think it's because that way it's easier to memorize. You start off with verse one and then B, B. What's the what's the bit of it that I know that starts with B? 
You see, he's got this crew of down and outers around him and he wants them to memorise this. He wants them to, to take this on board. He wants this message to be with them all the time. He, he wants deep in their hearts them to know that God cares and that God listens and that God loves you. Really, always. Here's the last thing. Verse 19. It talks about the righteous person. We've actually got, in these last few verses of the psalm, a slight change in language. Um, We've got... Where are we? Yeah, previous verses. Verse 15, verse 17. It talks about the righteous. The righteous. And you can see from the way it uses the words them and their, that it's plural. This is the righteous people or the righteous ones. But once we get down to verse 19, it changes. It's singular. It's the righteous person. It's the righteous one. Up until this point, he's been talking about God's people in general. Now he's talking about one person in particular. And verse 19 says this person will suffer. He's going to go through a lot. But verse 20, he'll come out of it without broken bones. And that ultimate destruction is something that's reserved for his enemies. So who is this person? Well, in our first reading, we saw that John, the apostle who witnessed this, identifies that this righteous one is Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, after his many sufferings, God literally didn't let his bones be broken. Unlike the the other criminals, the soldiers did not break Jesus' legs. And uh, not only is is that an amazing fulfilment of prophecy, but the unbroken bones also send a message. They say, you may bruise my Christ, says God, but you will not break him. Recently, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, um, had to go to the doctor because he had a sore foot. And the initial diagnosis was that it was broken and it got wrapped up in plaster and it was going to be in plaster for six weeks. A day or so later, uh, we got further information and found out that actually it wasn't broken, it was a soft tissue injury. And so before long, the cast was off and he was running and jumping as if nothing had ever happened. Jesus went through deep suffering. It was a painful death. It was a genuine death. He really died. But even death itself for Jesus was only a soft tissue injury. Because on the third day, death was swallowed up by life. And Jesus stands today ultimately undefeated. He is alive today. And the fact that his bones weren't broken show that that his suffering and the cross that we read about 
doesn't, doesn't make him less of a Messiah. It's actually precisely the way that he achieves his purpose as Messiah. It's the way that God buys us back from sin and death. It's the way God pays our ransom. It's the way he, he takes our trials and our guilt and our, our shame and like Frodo with the ring, throws them into destruction. And so what can we take away from Psalm 34? Here's just three things, maybe there's more. Can I, can I encourage all of us? Let's not be a slave to circumstance. There's, there's, there's always something to complain about. Sometimes there's a lot to complain about. But how will you respond? Will you be an inspiration of joy to others rather than a source of negativity? Will you say with David, I will extol the Lord at all times? Will you say good things about God? Well, one thing I've been reflecting on a little bit is as we, as we witness and want to share our faith with others, um, you know, our first task, first task in that is probably not convincing the guy or the girl in the next cubicle that, first of all, that, you know, that, that what they think about evolution is wrong and that abortion is bad and that all, all of these things. Um, I think our first task is to tell them how good God is. How good God is to us. Secondly, let's taste and see. We won't appreciate God from a distance. Let's take the risk. You you, you may be sitting here and saying, I don't feel good enough. And that's okay. Because God listens to people like you. Talk to him, say... Jesus, you are my refuge. You are my hope. Finally, when things get dark, keep talking about the great hope. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and overcame death. For us as the followers of of Jesus, death death is certain. But for us too, it is only a soft tissue injury. Because we have this hope that we will be raised just like Jesus was. And and in the big scales of importance, the the, the challenges and the hard times of now are outweighed by the glory which is ahead of us. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for our Saviour Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that he, he carried our sins um, and he dealt with them. Father, I pray that you would give us all a joy in following Jesus, that you would give us all a, a, a resilience and a determination to rejoice, um, to be an encouragement to others and to, to uh, take heart that our refuge and our hope is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.